All right. Well, this morning, we've got a, a wonderful opportunity to step into the word faith. Huh. That's a big word. And before we do that, I want to kind of give you uh, just a recap of what we talked about last week in the series that we're in. Um, you can look at the banners and you can, what does it read? You read it for me. Okay, I don't know what you guys said. It was like speaking in tongues. So I will interpret for you whatever that was. Church rewired, untangling the mess. Okay, let me tell you what that doesn't mean. We are not saying we've discovered this new groovy way to do church. And that this is the self-help to good church that you're going to need to hear and learn. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about getting back to the truths of who God is within the church and how we have taken him and made certain things in our own image and how do we reconnect those, allow him to help us reconnect those in a way that really speak of who he is. And so we feel that that's being fleshed out in certain language that we use and phrases that uh, many of us who have been church have used our whole lives. I still use them and I want to make it clear they are not bad things things to say. So when we talk about them, I don't want you to go away from this going, I need to avoid saying that. No, we want you to have a better understanding of what you mean when you say that and what it means when you say that. So let me give you an example. Some of the phrases that uh, you will hear that we will go through is, I'm praying for you. Great thing to say. Better thing to do. Right? How many, I, now, or, or the variation of that, I'll pray into that. I've said that, I say it all the time. How many of you say that? Great to say it, better to do it, okay? Um, these things can be abused. I've abused them all, <laughs> all right? I have. I, there are times where people are pressuring me, and I go, oh, I'll pray into that, to get out, get distance and space, Okay? Not the right thing to do, but I've said that. So we can see how we can say things that are good, but they can be used in a way that doesn't really produce the life that they were meant to. Another one. Heard this growing up. Oh, you're feeling bad, this and that. You shouldn't be feeling bad. God is on the throne. Hey, the joy of the Lord should be in front of you, all over you, all the time. But guess what? How, is it true that God is on the throne? Yes. Is it true that we would... That when we step into him, we're stepping into joy. Yes. But how we say it and when we say it is very important. Because if you say something like that, you cut, in that way, you cut off the dialogue. My feelings aren't valid now. I can't process. I can't express. So when we say God is on the throne, what context are we going to use it in? How are we going to use it? When are we going to use it? How should we use it? All of those different things. You catch my drift? Last week, we hit the big one that sets up everything. Jesus loves you. How many have heard that? Right? How many, have, how many have said that to someone? Yes. Is it true? Yes. Yes. But how we say it, when we say it, must always be accompanied by encounter and engagement. Meaning that we are connected to Jesus in such a way that 
I've been around people where they're just, they don't have to say a word to me, and I know that I'm encountering Jesus within them because they are so deep into his presence, and I just know. So that when people, when, and we are to be like that, the church is to be like that, we are to be in deep relationship with Jesus, that when we walk into a room, people notice because it changes the atmosphere. When Jesus moves in anywhere, any place, anytime, things happen. And people will go, whoa. So that when you say, Jesus loves you, they go, I know. I can feel it right now. I've experienced that with the way how you're treating me. And there is a story I shared last week that I will retell again later on this morning that is very important to what we're going to talk about today. And that is the phrase, you got to have faith. Or trust Jesus. Or you need more faith. Now, this can be used in so many different ways, right? This is, faith is, I mean, it's central to every living soul on the planet, okay? It is central to every living soul on the planet. It's about where you put that faith, who you put that faith in. Everyone is made in the image of God, and everyone is gifted with faith. It's about where you put that faith. Scripture says it all over the place. If you put your faith in Christ Jesus, it's where you put it. Now, is it true that we've got to have faith? Yes. Is it true that we have to exercise faith? Yes. Good things. But sometimes we can use that and it doesn't land the way it should. I've heard several times people say, well, if he had had more faith, maybe this wouldn't have happened. Has anyone ever heard that? Okay. Has anyone ever been hurt by that? Okay. Yeah, I have too. One of the guys that was influential uh, in my mid-20s in discipling me was a guy named Jim Foreman, and he's a therapist, family marriage therapist, brilliant, psychiatrist, just brilliant, looks brilliant, you know, he's... He's, uh, he's got the, the bald head with the white Archimedes beard kind of thing, you know, and it's just like this and just oozes brain power. But before he had a, a collision with Jesus in his life, he was uh, a professor at Penn State, and he would have conversations with Christians to, to disprove Jesus, the existence of God. And I asked him, why did you do that? And he said, I was in a hospital. My mom was dying of cancer. He was in a gang at the time. Violent guy, put people in the hospital. A pastor came in right before she died and said to Jim, if your mom had more faith, she'd probably be living. Jim grabbed him by the throat, threw him against the wall, said, I ever see you again, I will kill you. But then Jesus got a hold of his heart. And he understood it's not about how much faith but where you put your faith. See, faith does not guarantee your desired results, but it does guarantee that the Lord's will will be done in your life. Let me say that again. Faith does not guarantee that you will get your desired results, but it will guarantee when we put our faith in Jesus that his will will be done in your life. Is that to say that your desires... Sometimes don't line up with Jesus? No, sometimes they do. 
And when you put your faith in him, you get exactly what you desire, but it's not a guarantee that you're going to get exactly what you want, when you want, how you want it. No matter what instruction manual you look at, no matter what code you work by, it doesn't work that way. I, um, <laughs> I love to cook. Anybody loves to cook? Okay. Love to cook because it's a place where no one can tell me what to do. I can do what I want, and recipes are suggestions to me. So I'm like, yeah, right? And I love that. I have the freedom, and I can be like, people, leave me alone. I can do what I want. Don't tell me what I want. If it tastes bad, it's all on me. If it tastes good, it's all on me. Yay. False sense of control, right? Well, then I tried my hand at baking. Yeah. A different beast. Okay? Now, I had a recipe. I'm going to make cookies. Oh, yeah. Now, I have this little dyslexia, so I, I switch words around in the endings of them and do all this stuff, so I have to be really careful when I'm reading directions. Very careful. How-to manuals are a nightmare for me. But I'm looking at the uh, recipe, and I'm like, how hard is it? You slap some dough on a sheet, and you throw it in the oven, and boom, you get Nestle perfection. Right? It's, ah. So I'm making chocolate chip cookies, and I go through. I'm like, this is easy. Why do people say this is a science? It's not a science. You just follow the rules. And, and I was just doing that for the first time so I can kind of just see if later on when I master baking the first time, I can improvise. So I look and I'm like, okay, water, two and a half cups. Throw that in. Two and a half cups of water. That sounds weird. Well, what's that? So two and a half cups of water. Yeah, some of you are laughing. You're like, what a moron. And... <laughs> I even double-checked, but I read the one below it. It was actually like two teaspoons or something. So I put, I put it in the oven, I put, and, I, you know, I, and then I'm like, okay, if I'm going to follow the rules a little bit, I'm still going to deviate, so I'm going to make a giant cookie. I'm not going to make a bunch of little ones. I'm going to make these two big ones. So I put them in cake pans, you know, and so I, I'm like, this is awesome. I mean, p- news crews are going to come to my house. This is like the most amazing cookie ever. This is going to be great. Because, right, in our mind, we want to perfect it the first time, don't we? I want to be like, I mastered you. So, but I, in my mind, I put my faith in the directions, in the recipe. Here it is. You do this, you get this. When I got done doing what I thought I read to be true, <laughs> I had two cake pans full of soup with chocolate chips floating. And I'm like, what? This looks really runny. What do I do? Well, I'll put it in for like two hours. So... I put, I put them in for two hours, and guess what comes out? Really bad-tasting chocolate chip bread. And Shanna goes, I thought you were making cookies. I deviated. I wanted to make bread. She gets a kick out of it telling my family and stuff, so that I'm telling you because you're family. But I had the directions. Because we all have faith. Remember, it's about where you put it. I put it in my cocky ability to just wing it. I I put it in these directions, and I'm supposed to be guaranteed this product, and that's not what I got. I got soupy mess. Well, then I thought, you know what? I'm gonna. I've learned for this. I'm gonna try it again. So then I make cookies, and I man, the water one I'm looking at, and I'm like, okay. 
All right, here we go. Water, two teaspoons. Done. And I make these cookies, and I pull out the cookie, and it just flops. Like, boom. I'm like, well, it looked solid. <laughs> What's going on? Well, there were things happening that weren't in the directions. And so there are things that you've got to learn when you're doing something that when you, you put your, your faith, remember, you can put your faith in anything, but you're not guaranteed your result. And then so I, two, two strikes on me. I'm like, ah. Well, then this week, I had the bright idea that I'm going to try my hand at baking a cake. I thought, well, I've had two messes already. I'm going to move to the big leagues. I haven't even had a, had a cookie success yet. So I'm going through this chocolate carrot cake thing. But what I learned from it, from my mistakes, even though I put my faith in these things and I didn't get the guarantees, was how to pace myself, take my time, enjoy the process, and it came out the way I had hoped. But I wasn't guaranteed that. But it actually came out better because I understood now what does my posture need to be during the process? How do I need to posture myself with Jesus in a way that I see what he wants me to see so that I can continue to put my faith in him and have confidence in that? So if you would take out your Bibles, please, to Hebrews 11. We uh, touched on this in our series on Hebrews, but we are going to go to Hebrews 11, verse 4, and we're going to revisit this because this is important to understand. We are given a clear definition of faith. Reading out of the NIV, starting at verse 1, going through verse 3. Now, faith is confidence. Stop. <laughs> faith is what? Confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. And we hear all about that chapter 11. By faith, by faith, these guys, these giants did these things. But by faith, we understand. Key word there, we understand. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what is, was visible. What we see, the blessings that we see, came from an invisible place. I mean, we've said this before, the, the battle of uncreated truth, meaning God was not created. He has no beginning, he has no end. And out of that, he birthed something. We were birthed out of something spiritual that was spoken into physical. And so faith is about entering into that place of trusting what we do not see that we know is there. And so this creates... A lot of stuff, because we see, now, this is not an exhaustive understanding of faith. This is to pull out a few truths about faith, okay? But there are many more we can explore. If we were trying to draw out everything about faith, we'd be here. Well, well you need eternity for that, right? I mean, there's just so much. But what do you do when you hear God say to his disciples who just said to him, Lord, increase our faith. And what does he say? If you had faith as a mustard seed, you could what? Move mountains. Now, when I was a kid and I read that, and I remember this so clear. When we went on road trips, we go to Colorado and Utah where there's a lot of mountains. 
and I would look at a mountain, and my, my vein and my forehead would try to almost pop out because I was like trying to move the mountain with all the faith I can muster. And I would always walk away going, that thing didn't move. Jesus said that would move. I don't have enough faith. Is that what Jesus was saying? I don't think that was. I think what he was saying is that when you put your faith in me, moving a mountain is nothing. Watch me transform the heart of someone that was abused, abandoned, and wants nothing to do with me, and then they'll encounter me, and moving a mountain is nothing. Because I just changed a heart. And not only does he change one heart, he changes millions of hearts all the time. So he's showing that in me, because faith isn't something you or I do. It's something we're gifted with and have the free will to put it where we will. And Jesus says, you put that in me, even a little bit, and you could speak to that mountain. And that thing would just go... It's pretty incredible, isn't it? Where you put it. And then you have the woman who was ill, and, and Jesus said, your faith has made you well. Was it anything she did or could do? Was it her power? No. But it was where she took her faith and put it. Not about how much she had. See, we think sometimes that how long we've walked with Jesus qualifies us as experts. What qualifies you is what you do in the moment with your faith where you put it. And when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we are, become qualified. Now, again, faith does not guarantee that you're going to get everything you want or think you want. For good or bad, look at Abraham. When he was told to sacrifice Isaac, what did you think he expected would happen? Isaac would what? Die, right? That was his expectation. But when he put his faith in God, the Lord honored his faith for that, and Isaac was spared. Then you have the other side. Sometimes some terrible things happen, no matter how much faith you put in Jesus. And then we think it's about the how much. If your faith is in Jesus, your faith is in Jesus, and we trust, because remember, it's about our confidence put in him for his will to be done in our lives. Now, last week I shared a story, and this is to make my point as clear as I can make it. I have a dear friend, for those of you that weren't here, a dear, dear friend whose family, he lived with us, he's my brother, um, and he and his wife have one son, he's about three and a half, and they've had a couple of miscarriages, and they miscarried twins about two years ago, and now they were pregnant with twins again. And she was halfway done with her pregnancy. I'm on vacation. I get a phone call. And she has gone into uh, premature labor, and at home, one of the kids falls out into his arms and dies. And then there's one more. And so we're praying. All our faith, everything we can muster up, all the faith that we have, we put into Jesus. We're like, Jesus, you can do this. You can save them. You can rescue them from this. You can do something. 
We know you can't. We're praying, we're praying, we're praying. He's praying. And I'd spent months with him, years with him, dialoguing about Jesus, and he never made a decision to walk with Jesus until a few months ago, things were clicking for him, and he sees Jesus moving his life, and I'm terrified. You know why? That all that, all that he has seen and known would be undone. But remember, God is truth. And when you taste Jesus, truly, it's very hard to go back. But I hadn't talked to him yet. So Monday, it was after I shared the story the first time, I had a conversation with him that rocked me in a way that I really can't put in words, so I'm not going to stand here and try. But my concern for him was that he knows it's okay to be angry. It's okay. Anger is in a sin. It's what you do out of your anger that determines that. And so um, I, was, I, w- I wanted to make sure he knew that he had permission. It was okay. It was safe to do that. Am I raspy? Just lift me up. Thank you. Starting to sound cool. Like, yeah, hey, what's up, guys? Faith, yeah. <laughs> Here we go. Um, so I talked to him, and he kept this low tone, just like this. It's hard to hear him. But I will tell you this. I heard what counted. Okay. I'm afraid for him. I'm afraid that all the stuff that's happened with he and Jesus would be undone. And I said, are you, are you angry? He goes, I'm not angry. So I sit there. I'm in my driveway, in my car. Just got home, but I want to have this conversation without kids screaming. And I couldn't say anything. I'm, I'm going like, why is he not angry? I would be devastatedly, I'm full of rage. Who wouldn't be? And I said, can you say more about that? Why aren't you angry? He said, well, there was about 12 hours between our first child dying and our second one, and I went home real quick to take a shower and to think, and you know me, I don't pray a ton, but in this moment I prayed. And I was thinking in the shower, and I simply said, Jesus, for good or bad, I am choosing this day to trust you. And his son died right after. And he says to me, it is the greatest comfort knowing I can trust Jesus, even though I'm devastated. I dare anyone to tell me that's not faith in its purest and greatest form. And I dare anyone, anyone that tells him or anyone else like that, that they didn't have enough faith and that's why this happened, woo. They're going to not only have words with me, but probably this congregation. Because it's not about how much, it's about where you put it. And in the midst of terrible circumstances, he still allowed himself to feel all the pain, but knew where he put his trust. In Jesus Christ. That is faith. Again, it's not about how much, it's about where you put it. And I sat there, and I am weeping, and I said to him, you just took me to school. He goes, what? I've been walking with Jesus for over 20 years, 
and he's been walking with Jesus for three months, and he responded in a way I could only dream about responding. Because how long you've been with Jesus doesn't qualify you. It's the moment where you need to put your faith and continue to put your faith in, faith in him that qualifies you. And he did that. With only walking with Jesus for three months, guess where he put his faith? In Jesus Christ. And that's maturity, folks. Whether he knows it or not. Because it's simple. Hard, but simple. Jesus says, be with me. We've said it over and over and over and over, and we will continue to say it over and over and over and over. And in every moment, we are called to be with him. To be with him means we're putting our faith in him. When we put our faith in him, this is what we're doing. We're putting our hope, we're putting our trust, we're putting our love, and all those equal, you put, you're putting your life in him. There's a, there's a, a, a band out there called Mumford & Sons, and the, the lead singer of it, I think his name's Marcus, and his, his parents are, are preachers. So a lot of his songs, even though they're not a Christian band, speak of the truths of God, whether they know it or not. And he says one thing that just gets me every time. Where you put your love is where you put your life. And when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we're putting our love, our hope, our dreams, everything in him, which means we're putting our life in his hands. That is faith. He has all of us in every moment. It's where we put the gift of faith that we have been given. Simple, but hard. I am in awe that God uses anything and everything to reveal himself. And the people we don't think are qualified, he makes qualified. And guess what? We were in that camp at one time or another in our lives presence of God transforms. He transforms. We may not get, look, I sat in that car and I, that was not the result I wanted. I did not want to see him hurt that way. But what I saw Jesus do in the midst of it speaks of his love and grace, even when disaster hits. And what he's going to do is going to be far greater than what I thought. So remember, faith doesn't guarantee that we'll get what we want, but it does guarantee we'll get him and what he wants. That is the beginning and the fundamental of faith. There's lots of stuff we could say about it, but if we don't have that understanding, everything else isn't going to make sense the way it should. Would you pray with me? Lord, Whew. Would you just bless us right now with the simplicity of understanding that you and where we are in proximity to you is what matters. And that we want to be right where you are. We want to be with you. We want to step into your presence and never leave. Would you bless us with the understanding and we may not fully understand all the details, but the reality that you are enough. Lord, I, 
to be selfish here and just ask for myself. I want to be able to stand firm in you no matter what happens. I want to be able to say to you, for good or bad, I trust you. And I ask that you would bless us all with that. That no matter what we're dealing with, and even though it may feel that you're not there sometimes, even though it may feel certain ways, the reality is we can trust you. You show us over and over and over again that we can. Would you use those moments that we've seen you break through to encourage us, give us hope that you will continue to. So we ask that you would bless the rest of our time here in worship. This is about you. And we want to lift your name on high. And so as the offering comes, when we see that plate, we lift your name on high. You have access to all that we are. It's not about money, time. It's not about those things. It's about simply giving you access to everything we are. Because we are because of you. So I I ask as we worship, we would just cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Whether we sit, stand, raise our hands, dance around, it's all for you. We thank you for the freedom that you give us to worship you in spirit and truth. In Jesus' name, amen. I am. The great I am is with you. Some came to Jesus, the book of John, and they said, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one whom he sent. How many of you think for a moment those disciples woke up in the morning knowing exactly what was going to happen that day with Jesus. Huh? 
Not a clue. Not a clue. But as time went on, they began to realize that they were riding with the king. No matter what happened, no matter what came, the great I am was in the boat. Right? In a minute, you're about ready to go out there and get in your boat, so to speak, to go to your places. It's so important that you don't lose sight. The great I am is with you. Put your hope and trust in him. When Brennan was sharing, I was thinking about a story, a simple story about putting your hope in. There's a man who was fighting for his life in the hospital. And his daughter was really concerned, not just for his physical health, but where was he going to go? Concerned about his internal well-being. So she called her pastor. She said, Pastor, I'm not sure where my dad is at. Would you go visit him? And so the pastor went to visit this man, and he asked him, he said, do you pray? The man said, you know, I'd like to, but no one's ever really taught me how. And he said, well, it's as simple as a conversation with the one who's sitting with you. And he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to put a chair, ask one of the nurses, just put a chair right there, an empty chair, and Jesus is there. Talk to him. And so the pastor left, and over the next week or so, that was this man's practice. And one morning when the pastor got up, he thought, I wonder how he's doing, and I think I'll call his, da- his daughter. And so with this stirring in the spirit, he calls his daughter, and he says, how's your dad? He said, well, it's really interesting you'll, you'd call because he passed last night. And so I'm sorry to hear that. She goes, no, the nurses all said he passed peacefully. But there was something that was really curious. As he was getting close to the end, he kept pointing to a chair and asking the nurses to bring it over to bedside. And when he crawled over with the last bit of strength and put his head on the chair, he passed quietly into eternity. All of us need to have a chair, don't we? All of us need to have the constant reminder, he's right there. What Brennan is saying is so important for us to put in the front pocket of our brains, in the front pocket of our hearts, and have a chair. So Lord, as we go out, let us be always reminded the great I am rolls with us. And let our faith be put in you. You're driving. You got it. You have the chair. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you real good.